one welcome back to the audio dt with rib t the audio divar torah with rib t the share where we talk about the parsha and sometimes the holiday of the week with some practical lessons to keep we are here now in sav and we're also talking pesach we're also talking passover of course the holiday where we commemorate the exodus from egypt where we commemorate being taken as a nation and being brought to receive the Torah, to be to be brought over the days as we come to Harsina and Shavuot in seven weeks from Pesach. But on Pesach itself, we think about how we were brought, how we were given the Torah, how we were given the infusion of life with the fire of the Torah. We're going to talk about the idea of fire again a little bit, not like we talked about on Hanukkah, the fire itself and lighting others, but just a different element of what fire could be for us in our own ways, in our own lives, and how it relates to Pesach and the Parsha at hand, of course, being Tzav. Sources from Chabad.org, we're also going to bring out a fascinating story to tie in as well, from Chabad as well. Keeping the fire alive. If we look at Perik Vav, Pasig Vav, it talks about on the altar, Eish Tamid Tukat Al Hamizbeach Lo Sichbeh, Lo Tichbeh. There should be a constant fire burning upon the altar, it should never go out. So why is it that there has to be an Ish Tamid? Why does it why is it that there has to be a constant fire? What is it about that that there has to be such a thing in the Mizbeach, in the altar? Why does there have to be such a thing? It kind of is reminiscent on how there is an Ish Tamid a lot of times in different shuls above the Aron or in the shuls, hanging somewhere in the shul, hanging somewhere around. Why is that? What is the purpose of that? So Rashi picks up it and it talks about the fact that there's a continuous fire. The fire regarding which it says to kindle the lamps continually. The fire must also be kindled from the fire on the outer altar, Yuma points out, Gemara Yuma 45b. And it shall not go out, since it shall not go out as stated twice, once in verse 5 and a second time here, anyone who extinguishes the fire on top of the altar transgresses two negative commandments. So to me, first of all, this is the idea how fire has to be continuously going. Fire has to be continuously happening and it has to be continuously present. Hashem is likened for us the Torah to fire. Torah is the aura. Torah is the fire. Torah has to be constantly burning within us, constantly aflame within us. We should light the fire and light others like we talked about on Hanukkah, but for ourselves we should ensure, we should make sure the fire is constantly present in our lives, is constantly felt in our being, in our guf, in our neshama. And that's why there needs to be a fire always present to remind us of Hashem, even though we know about Hashem always, but to remind us that He's always in our lives, should always be present in our lives, and how Torah should always be present in our lives as well. We should think about how it should be always constant, and that could be why... There's an H. Tamid also in many Bate Knesset and many Bate Midrashiot study halls and the synagogues because it needs to be present. It needs to be in light of everyone, in view of everyone. It needs to be around so that everyone can see it and that it's present amongst all of us around. So we need it to be continuous, we need it to be around. And if you get rid of it, God forbid, that's a very bad thing. It has to be continuous in your life and has to be continuous all around. Yushalmi picks up in the Talmud in Yuma 4.6, constantly, what does it mean? Constantly, it means even on Shabbat. 
constantly, even under conditions of ritual and purity. It shall never go out, also not during the journeys through the desert, when the altar was covered with a cloth of purple wool. What did they do with the fire? During the journeys, they placed over it a copper bowl, so that it probably wouldn't damage anyone or burn anything out, but it had to be always around, always present, always continuously going. We needed to make sure that it is around. We needed to make sure that it is going on, that it is there. In our own lives, in our own upbringings, and in our own ways, we need to make sure that the fire is always around. We need to make sure that we always have that fire in our lives. We need to make sure that we have the fire of Torah always present, always going, always involved in our aspects, always involved in our lives. The Labavitcher Rebbe points out, the sources again are from Chabad.org, that Shabbat, Shabbos, is when we disengage ourselves from all things material. Ritual and purity, Tumma, represents an opposite state, one of excessive enmeshment in the mundane. Yet the Torah instructs that the fire upon the altar must be kept burning, even on Shabbat, even under conditions of ritual and purity. There are times when we believe ourselves to be above it all, as the spirituality of the movement and, uh, and the spirituality of the moment transports beyond the so-called trivialities of physical life. Conversely, there are times when we feel overwhelmed by those very trivialities. Says the Torah, the fire on your internal altar must and can be kept burning at all times. No moment in your life is too exalted or too debased to sustain your passion and enthusiasm in the fulfillment of the purpose to which you were created, which is to raise up to God the materials of your everyday existence. We need to take those things around us, everything around us, and elevate it and exalt it to the service of Hashem, exalt it to exactly what we're supposed to do for Hashem. We're supposed to make sure that our lives are fully spiritual, fully present, fully uplifted as much as we can every single day in order to eke out wonderful things in our days, in order to bring out mitzvahs every single day and to accomplish great things, great chassadim, helping others every single day. We want to ensure to help out everyone around us, always, never going out. It shall never go out. Make sure that the materials are our materials in our life are uplifted and are spiritual. And we take the, the gashmis, the materialistic, and we elevate it to the ruchnis. We make it elevated. That's why we take wine or we take grape juice and we say the bracha, we elevate it. We take it to a higher level. The Mayanashal Torah points out that it shall never go out. Also, not during the journeys. Special care must be taken during the journeys of life. The times when a person ventures away from the home environment that fosters his character and integrity so that the fire in his soul should not succumb to alien influences. We must do what we can to keep the fire alive. We must do what we can, especially in the journeys of life especially as we're traveling throughout life, especially as we're traveling throughout our existences. What can we do to keep the fire alive, especially when we're not home, especially when we're on the road, especially when we're involved in different things? What can be done in order to make sure that the fire is alive, that the fire is ever-present, that the fire is strong in our lives, in our existences? We must do 
what we can to keep the fire alive. Passover, Pesach, is a time which is about to come upon us when we remember how we were freed from Egypt in order to do good in the world, making sure to keep the fire burning within, doing mitzvahs and chesed, learning Torah, following in Hashem's ways, even if it is with such mysterious nefesh. Listen to this amazing story from Chabad.org. It's called Surviving Passover in the Siberian Gulag by Nissen Mindel, published and copyrighted by Kahat Publication Society. Fola Kahan was serving a three-year sentence for the crime of quote-unquote harmful acts against the state. Unquote. This, however, was a libel. The truth was that he was a religious Jew who had committed the quote-unquote crime of keeping his Judaism in every possible way he could and encouraging other Jews to practice it. When this was discovered, he was sent to a correctional labor camp quote-unquote in Siberia to be re-educated in the company of political offenders. He later wrote an account of his experiences. Excuse me. It was Passover in the year 1943, the third of his sentence. This is how he began his moving narrative. Quote, a few weeks before Passover, before Pesach, I received a letter from my home telling me they were sending a package with matzos, which is the flat cake bread, and other Passover products as in previous years. This letter had first been addressed to the previous camp where I had been working and then it was forwarded to my new camp. I rode home at once to inform them of my new address and hoped that the package would reach me in time. I gave my letter to David, a friend of mine, who was the manager of the food department in the camp. He in turn passed it on to someone outside the camp who was going to Moscow. I eagerly awaited this package of matzos and Passover products which would enable me to observe Passover properly as well as strengthen me for I had become rather weak and suffered from stomach trouble. One day the woman who was the head of the quote-unquote political division of the labor camp came to see me. She was also the censor of letters and packages addressed to the prisoners. She was new to the job, came to ask me if I was still keeping to my religious beliefs and practices. Was I still abstaining from working on Sabbaths and holidays and not eating the meals served from the camp kitchen? Incidentally, she also asked me, what is matzah? I explained it all to her. Then she asked, excuse me again, when is Passover? I replied, in 10 days time. What will you do if your expected package of matzos does not come in time? She asked. I would just eat potatoes, I answered. And if you don't get potatoes, then I would have no choice but to go hungry. For eight days, she asked wonderingly. The Almighty will not forsake me, I replied. The conversation ended there, and she left. The first Seder night arrived. No package, no matzahs, no Passover provisions. I had invited David and a Jew named Berkovich to my Seder, quote-unquote. We had covered the table with a clean sheet of paper to serve as a tablecloth. We had boiled a kettle of water. I poured out glasses of tea which were to serve us in place of the four cups of wine we should have had. Then to our to their unbelieving eyes I produced three whole matzos. Thus we observed the first Seder. I recited as much of the Haggadah 
as I could remember. The Agada being the book, the 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 beautiful sefer, if you will, that brings us through the seder, that gets us through the order of how the seder goes on the night of Passover, the first and second night. The following night, there were no matzos. We again had tea in place of wine, and three pieces of sugar complemented our seder. I again recited the Haggadah from memory. I then told my guests the secret of how I had the matzos from the pre- for the previous seder. Since I'm in the labor camps, I always saved a few matzos from one Passover to the next in case I'd have difficulty getting matzos for the following Passover. So I would save the matzos in case there was trouble, in case there was difficulty getting them for the following Passover. This year, luckily, these matzos were a blessing, and I was thankful that I'd had such forethought. David was very angry with me for not telling them that this year I had not received any matzos for Passover. We would certainly have not eaten your last piece of matzah last night had we known, he declared. That is the very reason I did not tell you, I answered. It's a mitzvah for every Jew to eat a piece of matzah on the Seder nights. During the rest of Passover, we must only refrain from eating chametz, leaven. One can manage with eating potatoes, fruits, vegetables, etc. I said, you can forget about fruits, and it's not so easy to obtain potatoes either, retorted David. How do you expect to survive a whole Passover, he demanded heatedly. I was given a blessing by my father that I will return home in peace, and with God's help I will manage, I replied calmly. David was not mollified and left in a sulk. I saw him only a couple of times during the whole of Passover. He then tried to persuade me to eat chametz or at least have something from the camp kitchen, if I did not wish to die of hunger. When he failed to convince me, he avoided me. He could not bear to see me suffering hunger, it seemed. On the third day of Passover, I had an unexpected visitor, the woman censor. I was at work and she noticed that my hands were trembling. She realized that I was weak from lack of food. I have brought you something to eat, she said, and brought out a freshly baked roll. The appetizing aroma made my head spin. I told her that we Jews are not allowed to eat that on Passover. I thanked her and refused it. She left without saying anything more. The next day she visited me again, and I was really feeling much weaker. This time she brought me some cookies made from white flour, a luxury. I baked these myself, she said, with sugar, with oil. You must eat them. Otherwise, you will die of hunger. I thanked her, but again refused. You're probably wondering why I'm so concerned about you, she said. You probably have a wife and children who are waiting for the time when you will be free to return to them. I sympathize with them. I have no husband waiting for me. He was an officer in this camp and was sent to the battlefront. He fell in action, fighting against the Hitlerites. Now please do take a cookie. It will do you good, she pleaded. And then the author talks about how he responded. Thank you. No, I am so I'm sorry to hear about your loss, but please leave me alone. She went out, obviously annoyed at her failure to persuade me to eat anything she had brought me. I felt so weak. I had to lie down on my bed and I had no more strength to get up. Berkovich came to see me a few times and brought me some warm, sweetened water to drink. 
He left me each time in sorrow at my sad plight. On the morning of the last day of Passover, he came and found me in a semi-conscious condition. I asked him to pour some water over my hands and give me my sitter. This he did, but the words swam before my eyes and my head spun. I then passed out completely. When I regained consciousness, I found the head nurse of the hospital standing beside me. She had, apparently, given me an injection which made me feel very hot. I don't know where this obstinate Jew gets such strength and resistance, I heard her say to David, who was also present. She then left the room. David stayed with me until it got dark. Passover is now over, he said. I tried, but was too weak to recite the evening prayers. He brought me some white rusks and some sugar. He dipped the dry rusks into some sweet tea and fed me like a child. Literally fed him like a child. After my meal, I fell asleep and did not awaken until the following morning. I was still so weak that David had to help me put on my tefillin. tefillin. Two days after Passover, Berkovich came to tell me the good news that he had been freed and would soon be allowed to return home. At the same time, he told me that whilst he was at the post office, he heard that sometime before Passover, a package had arrived to me from my home, for me, from my home, but had been sent back by the censor. Now it was clear to me why she had been so upset when I refused to eat her food on Passover. She was afraid I would die of hunger, and my death would be on her conscience. The freed Berkovich remained in town for two more weeks before leaving for home. Each day he brought me milk, potatoes, bread, some sugar, and once something special, scallions. I gradually regained my strength. Meanwhile, I was called to the office of the superintendent of the camp. Berkovich was present, also was the woman censor. The superintendent told me he had learned that the woman censor had sent back my package before Passover, and she had, in fact, admitted doing so. She literally sent back his package before Passover. Further investigation revealed that she had also withheld and destroyed two letters from my home so that I should not know about the package that they had sent me. The superintendent asked me to sign a complaint against the censor, saying I will personally make sure she is punished. The censor burst into tears and pleaded with the superintendent, Have pity on me and on my orphan children, she begged. Their father gave his life for the motherland, she sobbed. Don't ask me to have mercy on you. You must ask forgiveness from this man whom you have wronged so cruelly, he said. I told the superintendent that the woman censor obviously regretted her inhumane behavior, inhuman behavior, and had tried somehow to correct her misdeeds. In addition, considering that her husband had died fighting the Nazis and had left her with the responsibility of caring for the orphans, I was ready to forgive her. This on condition that she would faithfully promise not to give any more trouble to the prisoners in the camp. The superintendent was visibly impressed with my declaration of pardon. He promised not to report the matter to the higher authorities, making sure not to mention it to them. He did, however, have the censor transferred to a position where she would have less authority.
thus ended the matter. But that foodless Passover will remain in my mind all the days of my life. Thank God I am alive to tell the story. What a fascinating story. Fascinating story told on Chabad.org by Nissen Mindel with Kahot Publication Society. What an amazing, amazing way for a person to stand up for what he believes in. For a, pa- for a person to have the strength, the fortitude, to have the ability to actually withstand such a test, such a crazy test in his own life, to be able to live with Nesirish Nefes, keeping the fire alive, keeping the burning fire alive, living in the gulag, living in the hobbits, in living in difficult conditions, living without any food, without any real Pesach amenities or commodities. Nowadays, they have everything Pesach friendly. They have hot cocoa and coffee. They have, you know, snacks and they have, you know, even Cheerios. And they have everything. They have so much out there. They have pancake mix. They have pancakes and they have waffles and and potato chips and, and candy and chocolate and everything. It almost doesn't feel like such a big deal anymore for Pesach to roll around. In the olden days, you had to make everything by hand. Anything you wanted to eat had to be made. You can't just buy these wonderful things. And everything, there's substitute pizza, there's substitute everything. So it almost doesn't feel like a big deal at all anymore because everything is, is really obtainable through the use of whatever that you could find in the restaurant or in the store. It's easy to find things, it's easy to do things, but to think about living in such a situation and to have nothing, to literally have nothing, and you have to save matzahs year to year, no snacks, no side dishes, nothing, to have tea instead of the kosa. So it reminds me of the story we mentioned on one of the other shows, how someone came to a rabbi asking if he could use milk for the dalad kosos, and the rabbi saw through it, understanding that he really didn't have any money. He really didn't have anything. So what he needed to do was to, to figure out what to do, and, and the rabbi said if he has no money for dalad kosos, he definitely doesn't have money for anything else. He definitely doesn't have money for meat or anything. Let's try to help him. But to have nothing, to have just the burning desire, just the fuel of the fire within, especially for Pesach, that is an amazing thing. That is a wonderful thing. To have the fortitude and ability in mysterious nefesh for the fire burning in one's soul, being in Siberia to hold on to Pesach with every ounce of being is no small feat. Very inspirational, very, very hard to grasp, hard to believe, hard to fathom on some level. But each of us on our own ways, each of us in our own manner, must do what we can to have that fire burning, to keep that fire burning within us. What can we do to keep that fire burning? What can we do to transmit that fire to others like we talked about on Hanukkah? What can we what can we accomplish every single day to make sure that the fire stays aflame, to make sure that there's an Ishtukad al Gabiamazbeh that what can we make sure to have that in our own mizbeach, in our own life, in our own existence, that the fire is burning strongly, the fire is burning ever-presently, and the fire is there to keep us, to guide us, and to connect us. Anything we could do on a daily basis is a really good way to keep the fire burning alive. Dafiomi is a wonderful example. Just the day keeps everything at bay, keeps everything in say, keeps everything in play, keeps everything in the right way. Doing that daf every day 
getting that daf done is a wonderful feeling of staying connected of Kovei Eitim Torah. People who do Shtayimikra every day. It's a wonderful way of keeping things connected, keeping things aflame for the fire of the heart every single day, every single aspect of the day. If you read those daily emails, which I talk about a lot from OU.org, Robert Jacob Brown once figures out, way to keep, figures out ways to keep these different topics relatable and readable and, and to, to be able to go through it in a very short time, very quick. They're very quick. There's the mitzvah day, the halacha day, the shtaymikra a day, the nachyomi a day, and uh, the halacha yomi, the besides a Mishnah Yomi, where, where we, we, we go through it, and it only takes a couple of minutes to go through all the emails, but it's a way to stay connected, a way to keep that h 2 Khan going, a way to keep ourselves fires aflame, fires afloat. In our own lives, when we're walking around, when we're interacting, when we're seeing those around us, we have to figure out ways, we have to figure out aspects of how we could keep things aflame. How we could keep the fire burning to be an Eshtukat, to be ever-present in our own life. When we're going on the journeys of life, how do we make sure that the Torah is enmeshed, is embedded, and is our guidebook, is our guiding light, is our eternal light, is our eternal presence among us. When we go to work, when we travel to and from work, what do we do with that time? Do we mindlessly peruse Facebook or Instagram? Do we mindlessly, excuse me, go through Pinterest or the like? Or do we use that time to do mindful things, reading about the Parsha, reading or listening to the Daf, reading Jewish articles or, or Jewish stories, or listening to, to, to different aspects of Torah life? There's so many ways to access Torah nowadays, besides for websites like Chabad or Aish or Oyum. Why you? There's also so many podcasts, so many shrooms, so many videos you could listen to. There's so many books out there that you could read, that you could connect to, that you could relate to. Even just reading a Jewish novel like we try to do, Leonardo on Friday nights and Yom Tov nights, which is my favorite, favorite, favorite time of the whole holiday, of the whole Shabbos, the whole Yom Tov, where the kids are sleeping and the flame, the actual flame is is, is burning throughout the Yom Tov, and our flames are burning, and we sit and we read, and we read Jewish novels that have core Jewish values that we can relate to, that we understand, and that also could keep the, the fire aflame, keep the burning happening as an eternal way, as an everlasting way. Whatever we can do to connect, if you like music and you listen to music every day, that could connect you. If you play an instrument, you play music, I play guitar, I try to connect also different tunes, different ideas, how we could do so, different songs about different things like the Beit HaMikdash or about Mashiach or about Olam Haba or about Hashem and the concept of being Talmud B'Simcha, different things we can connect to, different things we can relate to. What can we do to make sure that there's everlasting fire in our life? What can we make sure to do to make sure that the Ish Tamid is over there, that the Ish Tamid is part of us? We must, in our own ways, have the fire burning within us. Like we talked about in Hanukkah, having the fire inspiring others, we make sure, we must make sure to keep it with us wherever we go. Whatever the journey may be in life, whatever the journey may be in our own lives, in our own existences, we have to make sure that the Torah is our constant companion. The Torah is our constant partner, our constant chavrusa, our constant friend with us, making sure to guide us, to be with us, and to take us wherever we need to go. 
People say when you listen to a show, you listen to a podcast, you feel like the person is sitting next to you in the car. It should feel like that always, that the Torah is our best friend sitting next to us in the car, sitting next to us on the train, keeping us company, keeping us as a as a, as a ride-along member, someone who's with us in the seats in our lives. What are we doing to make sure that we have the fire in our journeys, that we have the fire in our lives, making sure not to ever extinguish the fire, God forbid, but to make sure that it's kindled and lit always to make sure to remember that on Shabbat and Yom Tov and Pesach we disengage from the material and we're involved in keeping the fire burning keeping the fire even on Shabbos even when it's difficult even when we feel like we don't know what to do we take the 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 mundane and we elevate it to the spiritual we use the fire of the Torah to elevate things to the material understanding not to get overwhelmed by trivialities but to make sure that your internal altar must be kept burning, has to be kept burning. Make sure to realize that your life moments are always able to have the fire of Torah infused in them. Nothing is too debased or nothing is too exalted for the passion and enthusiasm to be there for the Torah and for Hashem to raise up our everyday existences. Make sure when we're traveling through life, especially traveling to work or from work or traveling to different places, that even when we're away from the home environment, we still foster integrity. We still foster the spirit, foster the nefesh, foster the soul. Make sure that the fire does not succumb to the alien things around us. Do what we can to keep the fire alive. Do what we can to make sure the fire is always present. Do what we can to keep it in our hearts flamingly strong, flamingly licking the, the wonderful wonders of Torah. Making sure that even if a person is in Siberia, even in the Gulag, even in terrible conditions, he feels the fire of Torah life. He feels the fire of of the, the Yiddishkeit, the fire of the holiday, the fire of Passover, literally pushing into the depths of his soul, literally imprinting into his soul, literally coming through for his soul. Whatever we can do to make sure that we push ourselves to keep the Torah ever-present, keeping the fire alive, whatever we could do, attaching it to actions, attaching it to mitzvahs, attaching it to chesed, keeping it every day, thinking about what we could do every day, a chesed for those around us, to, to make sure to connect, to always have the Torah in an active way, not a passive way, God forbid, but in an active way, doing learning about it and then actually doing it, making sure the fire is always in our hearts and always in our minds. That's what it means to have the H2 God. The fire must always be on. The fire must always be present, must always be lit. We have to make sure that every day our souls are lit. Every day our nefashot are lit. Every day our neshamas are constantly on fire, constantly ignited, constantly driven to succeed and driven to do more mitzvahs, more chesed, more Torah for those around us to make sure to actually be involved in doing good for others, being involved with for others and making sure to take care of those around us. If we remember to take the Torah with us always, to make sure to keep, keep our eternal flames ignited to make sure to do what we can every day to be koveya itim in whatever way we can do it, again, whether it be video or audio or reading, or whether it be learning and studying with someone else, or whether it be involving yourselves in Jewish novels and Jewish music, involving yourselves in, in Jewish ideals, Jewish writing, Jewish whatever you can, to make sure to keep that eternal flame going, to keep that eternal fire going. 
we think about this week we come to Passover and we were redeemed, we were brought out, we were slaves, and now we're free. What do we use our freedom for? How do we ensure that the freedom equals our neshama, equals the eternal fire, equals the eternal flame, equals the ability to actually set ourselves on fire every day, spiritual fire, to get many things done, many things done in our own lives. We wish you a Chag Kosher V'Sameach. God willing, we'll take a break for a week or so until we come back after the holiday and we'll talk more practical lessons to keep here on the Audio DT with Reb T and I'm your host, Reb T.